Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we're going to be talking about the business model blueprint for servitization success. I am excited to welcome back to the podcast for a third time, Professor Tim Baines, who teaches operations strategy at Aston Business School and is the executive director of the Advanced Services Group. Tim, welcome back to the Future of Field Service podcast. Thank you, Sarah. I'm pleased to be here. We won't go into details, but um, we had to work very, very hard to bring you this episode today. <laughs> so, so thanks to Tim for hanging in there with us and uh, I'm excited for today's conversation. So, you know, I think the um, biggest question uh, that comes up um, for me when I'm talking with folks about the journey to servitization is, um, how do we monetize it? What are the revenue models? How do we we use it to increase uh, revenue? Um, so that is a part of what we're going to be talking about with, with Tim today. Um, Tim was first on the podcast last year talking about the forces behind servitization and what that journey looks like um, for companies. So if you haven't listened to that episode, it's definitely worth uh, revisiting. And in December, we tackled um, some servitization predictions for 2021 and some of the things that Tim expects to see this year. So today we are going to add on to our, um, our nice stretch of podcasts by talking about um, business models and revenue models and how to make servitization work for your business. So Tim, to start, can we talk about um, how does servitization represent a business model innovation? Thank you, Sarah. So the whole conversation about servitization drags in this, this idea of the innovation of the business model of the firm, the innovation of the, the business model of the manufacturing firm. And, and as you know, this, this whole conversation is, is, is about moving from from a world where the business model is largely about the, the, the design and the production of a product and the transactional sale of that product, to a world where the business model is, is ultimately about ensuring the outcomes, the business outcomes for the customer and for our, for our business model as a provider, as a manufacturer, to be based upon on, 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 on the value on receiving value, on, on the capture of value, um, as our customer consumes the service that we actually offer. So, so the conversation about servitization naturally leads into a conversation about business models. And when we look at business models, look at the business model framework, we recognize that it's largely recognized as having four elements to it. Um, one element is about the, the offering, what you put out there, what you give to the customer, you know, the service or the, the, the product or the product and service. One element is about how you deliver that, so the, the systems, the, the technologies, the, the people. And the third element, and, and really the, the focus for our conversation upon revenue models, the third element is about this value capture. And I'll just mention for the moment the fourth element is about the broader competitive landscape and our competencies to compete in that before now moving back to the third element and saying, okay, um, revenue, the, the, the processes of value capture, how we get value out of delivering the product or the product and service to our, to our customer is, is, is where 
we naturally go when we think about revenue models. And of course, if you think about an organization um, putting a service into a customer, they're going to receive value in a number of ways. Some of those ways are going to be very direct, um, uh, ways in which we can monetize, uh, and other ways are going to be less direct. The learning that we get, for example, of working with a customer, that learning flowing back to us. But of course, when we talk about revenue models, we're talking really about that way in which we capture direct funding, how we get value, monetary value, out of our offering to the customer. And and what becomes interesting, you can look at this area of, of revenue models and you can reflect upon it and, and think about the different revenue models which are actually out there. And... There is, of course, the, the traditional revenue model that you, that you associate with a, a product sale where you get a direct, that the manufacturer gets, gets reimbursed directly and, 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 and perhaps immediately and perhaps in full for, for the sale of a product. Um, right the way across to these subscription type models where we're paying for, on, on perhaps a monthly basis for, for actually um, the provision of a product or a service. And, and ultimately, when you get to, to the business, the, the revenue models that, that we're really interested in, which are associated with these more advanced services, these revenue models are, are, consist of a combination of different factors. They consist of, of a, um, a pay-per-use component, but they also consist of um, a lower banding where every month we will receive some revenue, no matter how much our customer uses our product or service, and an upper banding, which is basically a point over which we're saying to the, the customer, you, you, you can't use our products and service any further because we need to have access to that to do some services work, some maintenance work. So I hope that's made sense there. There's an awful lot in this, this topic of revenue models, and it starts with the business model, and it starts with the fact that we are undergoing um, a move to different types of business models, and the revenue model innovation is a really important component of that move to these, these, these business models which are based more around service rather than the transactional sale of a product. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there for the moment and, and just see whether this, um, my explanation resonates with, 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 with what you are seeing, Sarah, what you're being asked when you speak to people. Yeah, you know, Tim, that explanation actually had me thinking about um, our first conversation and, and talking about some of the forces behind servitization, right? And so if you follow me for a moment, what I'm thinking about is, you know, the, the conversation is, is often led with revenue model, right? So I don't have a, a lot of organizations leading the conversation with me talking about the more holistic view of business model. They're pretty focused on the revenue model. And what it made me think about is that um, that's because ultimately that revenue model aspect of the business model is what's going to yield the payoff to them, right? So it's kind of, they're naturally focused there because they're most concerned with um, if we're going to invest time and resources on this journey, what's the payoff to us? Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. And, and I, I see that also. So yeah, and, and it made me think about the conversation in, in the context of 
some of the external and inter internal forces around servitization, right? So it, it's, to me, the focus on the revenue aspect only is sort of a, an internal focus where the business model um, focus is looking at it more holistically with both, you know, what's the ultimate um, payoff to the company in terms of revenue, but also how are we going to deliver value to the customers that they are, um, in essence, willing to pay for? Does that make sense? It, it does, Sarah. And I think there's, there's three, three threads of conversation mm -hmm. which intertwine. And, 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 and if we're not careful, we, we can, uh, when, when we look at this area of servitization, if we're not careful, we can just see them as one thing that's happening, revenue models. But of course, as you've, you've just point out, pointed out, you have A, the way in which the customer actually pays us, but B, how that rolls up to be the business case for the organization, the, you know, the compelling financial argument for us to move forward with services, but also C, what that means in terms of our relationships with other financial organizations and mm -hmm. other financial innovations, other ways in which we might explore to actually fund some of our own activities. Uh, and that third area is in itself a whole area of conversation, which, which, which you can take a deep dive into and can be fully immersive. Um, mm -hmm. But, but to the, the first two points, I, I, I very much agree with. And when we speak to, to practitioners, we see the same thing. They're interested in how is somebody going to pay me? You know, mm -hmm. am I going, you know, how is that going to affect me? Am I going to receive a lump sum or am I going to receive monthly payments? What's it going to look like? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, how do I put together a compelling financial case to the business, um, which, which is an argument for us to either move into servitization, to move mm -hmm. forward with servitization, to expand our servitization activity. Those are those two, two levels. Yeah, that makes sense. So you, you talked um, about one of the components of the revenue model being the value capture process. So can you talk a little bit about some of the different ways of capturing value? So, and this is where I understand this language here. Um, can seem um, a little bit almost like um, conceptual and difficult to grasp um, for a practitioner. And, but this is the language that the, the scholars who are working on, on business model innovation, those scholars tend to use. And one of the challenges people like you and I have, Sarah, is to, is to, to take this, this somewhat academic conceptual language and translate it into practical terms. Mm -hmm. And Value capture um, is one of these kind of um, one of these academic terms, but when we bring it right the way down and say, well, what's it really? What we're we really talking about at the level of a, a manufacturing firm, we can simply say the important bit for us is is what do our customers? How do our customers pay us? How do our customers pay us? Now, it, one of the one of the um, the challenges is that manufacturing firms, of course, are, are very familiar with the idea that our customers pay us when they buy a product. And of course, as we move into these services which are more sophisticated, these um, uh, more advanced, more these outcome-based services, the way in which our customers pay us tends to change. Mm -hmm. So they, we, we, we're here as a manufacturing firm. We are made aware that 
when you look at the more sophisticated outcome-based contracts, customers tend to buy, sorry, tend to pay for that service as they consume it. And, and that, can give a, that can give a lot of concerns to the manufacturer because you, know, you, you, you take the example of a, you know, a high-value asset and let's, mm-hmm. say it's, um, you know, let's say it's a machine tool, let's say it's a million-dollar machine tool. Uh, the old world is that the manufacturer makes the machine tool, sells the machine tool, gets a million dollars for it, and with that million dollars, as the funds then to reinvest in the materials, pay for the workforce, etc., to set about making the next machine tool. Mm-hmm. But of course, when we move to these services, um, and, 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 and you hear people like myself advocating it's going to be a pay-per-use, the manufacturer sitting there and saying, right, I'm not going to get a million dollars. I might get, I might get uh, m- more than a million dollars. I might get $2 million, but it's going to take me five years to get that $2 million or, right. or three years or two years to get that $2 million. I'm going to get more money back because ultimately I'm going to provide more services to go with the product. But I'm going to be getting back over a longer period of time. I'm not going to get it back as a lump sum. I'm going to get it back as a month-by-month payment. And that gives the manufacturer these, these alarm bells, and the manufacturer says, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to pay for all these raw materials that I've just consumed? Um, in providing this machine tool, if all I'm going to get back is a monthly installment, which over two or three years is going to, to build up towards this £2 million. But, mm-hmm. but on, on, you know, from day one, I'm just going to get a small, a small fraction of that back. How can I afford to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there's an explanation of how you can do it, but I'll, I'll just pause for a second, Sarah, and say, does that resonate? Is that the type of conversation that people have come to you with? Yes, yes, that absolutely makes sense. And I think you know the implications of that level of change within a company are something that is just not simple, right? I mean, it, it's it's something that that takes a lot of. Um, you know, change management in thinking, but also work to, you know, put, put into practice, right. And, and sort out, you know, what that means and, and how to kind of evolve into that, that type of model. It, and it's, it, it's, and it's a topic which, um, on, when people first started looking at these more, um, more sophisticated services, these more sophisticated business model and, 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 and they were outsiders to it. And they looked at these and said, this is really concerning. And I always remember some of the very early research papers that I read about Rolls-Royce. Mm-hmm. And you would see the statement that says, Rolls-Royce no longer sell jet engines. They sell power by the hour. Mm-hmm. And, of course, people took that literally. And they said, oh, so they're not selling the gas turbine. Um, the answer is, they absolutely are selling the gas turbine, whether mm-hmm. it's Rolls-Royce with a gas turbine, whether it's a company like Alstom with, with, with you know, with, or GE, uh, sorry, Alstom with a, a train system, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Caterpillar with, 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 with a big quarry truck, the asset is being sold. So I think that's the first, the first part of the message back to a manufacturer exploring the servitization space. They will still sell the asset. Mm-hmm. So back to our machine tool example, I will still sell the machine tool. Mm-hmm. And I will sell it, um, and I will get that, that, that lump sum payment for the machine tool. It's just that the customer isn't necessarily buying the machine tool, and that's what people get confused with. I'm still, with these, these more advanced services, I'm still selling the asset. Mm-hmm. I'm just not selling it to the customer. I'm selling it to a finance 
organization, which becomes an intermediary in this model. And remember a couple of moments ago, I spoke about the three strands. Mm -hmm. This is part of the third strand, which we could perhaps talk about in more detail at a separate time. But whether if you look at these organizations, whether it's um, Caterpillar, whether it's Rolls-Royce, whether it's um, GE, that they all have a financial institution, a captive financial institution, so a financial function within inside their organization, which is taking on when the you know when the product is made, when the machine tool is made, mm-hmm. in effect, internally they are buying that asset from the manufacturing part of the organization and putting it into the finance part of the organization. And now there's other businesses out there which are much smaller than people like Rolls or GE um, who are using external banks to do mm-hmm. the same thing. So it hasn't got to be a captive bank, but external banks. But that, that's what happens is the asset is being sold. Now, mm-hmm. so the manufacturer actually, going back to our um, fictitious example of, a, you know, of, of the machine tool manufacturer, what's actually happening is here I am. I am selling my machine. I made my machine tool. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it to the bank. And it's going to go to the bank. So I'm going to get a million pounds, right, sorry, a million dollars right away for the transactional sale. And then I've got a guaranteed income then for the next two, three, four, five years, whatever the contract length is, of another million pounds, of another million dollars for those services which I'm going to provide for mm-hmm. it. So, and this is where this conversation then about the revenue model and the, the compelling case for services gets so intertwined mm-hmm. because all of a sudden I've now got an, uh, an income into my business of two million pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas previously I would have only got a million pounds or $2 million where previously I'd only got a million dollars. Now that's a very compelling argument to move into, to, to move forward with servitization. But, but the argument doesn't exist unless you get underneath the surface of it and start to tease out what the revenue model looks like in, in, in the way that, that, that you're doing, the way that you're, you're speaking to me about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, can you walk us through what are some of the established and emergent revenue models for advanced services? Okay, so so understand the baseline. So the baseline is the traditional transactional sale of a product. I've made the product, I'm selling it to you as a customer, and you're paying me directly one single installment for, for, for receiving that product. So moving away from that, we, we, what, what you tend to hear people talk about more and more is a subscription, a pay-per-use. And, 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 and notionally, you know, a subscription model is a model we're familiar with. It's, it's, it's the model that you might have on a mobile phone or mm-hmm. a gym membership. It's each month I will have a monthly payment. Now, um, that, based in the context of what, we've just spoken about a few moments ago about the fact that I will still be um, having my transactional sale of the product to the finance house, which mm-hmm. will give me a lump sum back inside my organization to go and finance the next, you know, the, my, my manufacturing system. Um, the customer just experiences this, trans, the, the, this subscription charge. So I'm, as, as, as a provider, I am getting both a lump sum repaid and I'm also getting a subscription from the customer. The customer themselves is paying a subscription, and that subscription is 
comprises of two components. Part of it's going back to me, the manufacturer for my services, and part of it is going back to the finance house to pay for the loan, which, which, which they've taken on, in effect, has been mm-hmm. taken on the machine. So the customer sees a subscription charge. Now, when you look at subscription charges, um, that is, you know, a lot of people are looking at the moment in time at servitization and seeing it as being a move to subscription charging for, 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 for you know, for a combination of a product and a service. Now, it's more sophisticated of that, of course, than that, of course, when you start to look at more um, um, more complex machinery because the the power by the hour model on a gas turbine isn't simply a subscription. It it it, compi- it comprises of of three components. It comprises of a baseline, um, which says that look, even if the asset isn't being used, you will still pay me every month. A base, a base fee, mm-hmm. and by contrast, it comprises of an upper fee that says, "Look, we don't expect you to ever pay more than this top level because we don't expect you to use the asset more than so many hours in a week, so many weeks in the year, type of thing." Mm-hmm. Because there's a there's a maximum utilization we would expect this as- asset to actually have, and it might only be 85 percent because above that, we need to have access to the equipment to maintain the equipment. And, and then, so you've got a lower, a lower fee, sorry, a lower band, a higher band, and between the two, you've got a variable. And mm-hmm. the variable will be based perhaps on the number of hours used or, or, the, or, or the outcome, the number of products produced, um, et cetera. So, so some practical examples. Um, uh, if you look at, uh, we t- we've talked about Rolls-Royce in terms of, you know, power by the hour, the idea that the thrust, the gas turbine thrust that, that, an, aircraft, that, that, that an airline operating company buys from Rolls-Royce is based upon the number of hours that that, that, that machine is running for them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go into food production, you go into people in, into the, in the world of food production, and you think about um, um, the idea of paper pack, the, uh, if, if, if you imagine a production line and the production line is producing um, potato crisps um, mm-hmm. and then you've got each, each item going through the machine um, in effect is, uh, incurs a kind of a revenue flow back to the manufacturer of the machine mm-hmm. a paper pack and you have that happening with companies like um, Domino and companies like Ishida and companies like and people like that who, who, are, who are playing around with these, these, these ideas of a paper mm-hmm. pack. Um, and, then, and then you've got this idea of paper good pack. And if you imagine in food production, you've got a difference between paying per item produced and paying per good item produced. Mm-hmm. And that's a different form of revenue model. And they're all bundled up, Sarah. So you've, you've got all these different revenue models components of a revenue model and one of the challenges when you're thinking about an advanced service offering is to is to put together um, that, 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 that construct of that um, that revenue model so it works for the customer mm-hmm. uh, so you know you you've got these different components as I've just talked through so it's a revenue model which comprises of those and works for the customer and it's on the basis of the revenue model that the justification the business case can then be put into in place Mm-hmm. And then we go from there. 
So I'm sorry, Sarah, there's an awful lot in the revenue model <laughs> conversation. And, and, I've, and I'm mindful that I've, I, I've, um, uh, I've, I've spoken at length about it. But um, is, is, is this helping to clarify it or am I just adding more, more fog to an already quite foggy topic? No, I think it's definitely helpful. And I think, you know, there are certainly areas where we could really dig in. Um, and that, you know, that gives us an opportunity to, to have you back at some point and do that. But this is, this is good. I do want to ask a couple more questions. Um, the next is around, what do you think the future trends are for these revenue models for servitization? How do you see this, you know, kind of evolving? Okay, so I see... What I feel I've witnessed over the past few years is people becoming much more aware of a subscription um, charging approach. Mm -hmm. So the customer paying a subscription. And you can think about it in terms of if you you stream music, you pay a subscription. Mm -hmm. Now, the subscription charge is, is, is simply a fee which gives you an availability. And, mm-hmm. and it, <laughs> somebody like myself who, who lives in a place where my mobile phone reception is poor um, still pays the same, if you like, <laughs> subscription fee mm-hmm. that um, somebody who's living in the centre of town would, would pay. Mm-hmm. I'm not paying a fee based upon me experience, fully experiencing the outcome that I want. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm paying a fee which is giving me access. Mm-hmm. I'm not paying a fee which is um, based upon the successful receipt of my, me receiving an outcome. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there are, there are, if you look at the contracts, there are terms and conditions about uh, you know, my, my mobile phone should work under these conditions, et cetera, et cetera, and I can get a refund if I don't get it. If I don't get it, but without going into the depths of the contract, I think the trend will ultimately go towards um, charging for outcome, charging for a successful delivery of outcome. And go back to my point a moment ago. Uh, imagine a piece of production machinery inside a food processing plant, and um, and let, let's say that piece of production machinery is is is, is a bottling um, plant, uh, as a bottling mm-hmm. machine. And at the moment in time. Um, we might talk about moving to a world where we're being paid, you know, the manufacturer of the production machinery is being paid on the basis of the number of bottles which are being filled. Actually, you know, the customer doesn't receive income based upon the number of the bottles. He receives income based upon the number of bottles which have been fully filled, mm-hmm. have been filled in a, in a way that the, the contents remain sterile, let's say, etc., paid per good fill and mm-hmm. again that's part of that evolution so that's where i think it'll go to sarah i mm-hmm. think most businesses are quite a way off that yet they're really in the world of just even this idea about moving to a subscription based approach uh, and, and and partnering with a financial institution to enable that subscription based approach that's yeah. that, that's where the bulk of businesses are just exploring that but it's yeah not, sorry go ahead no, 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 it's going to say, so, but there's so much further it can go. That's all I was going to say. No, I agree. And I, and I was going to point out, you know, one of the, the things I see companies doing is, is almost tiptoeing toward subscription, but not being fully comfortable with it yet. Meaning 
there's still still some companies I see still trying to keep the two worlds separate in the sense of selling the asset, but then trying to you know offer service on subscription after the fact. And I think that you know I, I see how you could feel as though you're you're kind of you know testing the waters in, in that approach. But I think ultimately what you've talked about today makes far more sense and, and is, is a truer representation of, of actual servitization, um, if you understand what I mean. Um, I, I that think, Sarah, that, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to add something in, which was, I think this move to subscription um, is, is, is a very valuable component of the servitization journey but it isn't the servitization journey in itself and mm -hmm. I, I think it's important to recognize that um, a customer can still buy a product on what feels like a subscription basis mm -hmm. I, I don't know Goodyear will sell a tire to a customer on the basis of a monthly payment of the number of, of miles or kilometers that tire has gone right through. now that's still a, a traditional product sale. It's just really been paid for in installments. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's... So, so the shift to subscription doesn't explain the whole servitization journey. And, it, and it's important to recognize that because mm -hmm. um, we have come across situations where because the subscription model is difficult for the the manufacturing organization to grasp mm -hmm. the whole servitization initiative gets derailed. Mm -hmm. Of course, servitization is fundamentally an innovation in the customer value proposition. Right. Um, you know, doing more and more for our customers and of which a pay per use subscription model makes absolute sense. But the subscription model itself doesn't explain the servitization. It's a component. It isn't, right. it isn't the journey itself. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Um, so last question for you today, Tim. Um, you know, what you just said, I think, is an, impo an, an important distinction. Um, the servitization journey is really one that is representative of evolving your customer value proposition, um, determining, you know, how you monetize that and what the revenue model looks like is, is one component of that journey. Um, it does seem to be uh, one of the biggest struggles for a lot of people, or at least, um, if not the biggest struggle, something on which they're they're putting the most emphasis. So, you know, for someone listening that is struggling a bit with this conceptually, um, what's your best advice or, or synopsis for how to, um, as best they can, simplify and and make progress in this area? I think I would suggest three steps, really, Sarah. Mm -hmm. I think the first step has to be to be clear in your mind exactly what this model actually looks like. Um, and we've talked about it in the sense of um, this idea that they, you know, what the customer receives is mm -hmm. different to necessarily what the manufacturer offers. And that happens because in the loop now where we've got this financial organization, whether it's incumbent in the manufacturer or it's independent to the manufacturer, be, be, being part of, of, of the equation. 
So being clear in your own mind about you know, what, what, what is the structure of the financial flows, I think, is, mm-hmm. is, 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 is my first step. And I'm not suggesting anybody goes into huge amounts of detail, but just sits down and sketches it out and says, yeah, okay, I understand what the customer's going to get and pay for. I understand what it is I'm going to produce now, I'm going to receive funds. And I understand that if there is a financial organization in the loop, what they're going to get, what's their, their, their slice of the operation. Mm-hmm. I think you know, my, my, my second piece of advice would be yeah, that, that I know that this is going, you know, to, for an organization to invest in this, it's got to have this business case. Mm-hmm. But of course, that the structure of that business case is both dependent upon this revenue model and also the stages of maturity of the servitization journey. Because if we're at the, the stage earlier on, going back to our roadmap, where we're just exploring the ideas, then the business case is simply asking for permission to explore the idea further. Whereas if we're much further down the, the, the road, the business case is about much more strategic investment. So I think my second point is really be clear about the the, the, the basic business case that you, you need to form on the basis of the revenue model. So understanding how detailed you need to go in figuring out the revenue model really is determined by what's the business case you have to create at this stage of the game. Mm-hmm. So if the business case is to just get permission to do a bit more experiment, you know, to do some experimentation, then at this stage of the game, the revenue model only has to be fleshed out um, as as what it might look like with mm-hmm. with one particular customer. Whereas if we're looking for permission to make a big investment, then the revenue model has to be fleshed out in much more detail with multiple customers. So I think that's the second point: is be clear about almost like the stage that you're actually at in in, in your servitization journey, and particularly therefore what what does the business case need to comprise of. Mm-hmm. And then the third, the third piece of advice is, is that if at all possible, come up with just a, a prototype and just experiment with one very safe organization that you can use to mutually learn from the experience. Just pilot mm-hmm. it, try it. And through that piloting and trying, then both organizations will develop their knowledge and their insights of what this can actually look like. And then that's the platform to move further forward. And so you've got these three components really that coming out of it um and the first one is be clear about what that structure could look like think about um, where i am in terms of a business case and the sophistication of a business case i need to produce and thirdly just think about a very basic pilot at this stage excellent um very good very good advice tim um and we are we're out of time for today but i could ask you so many more questions so um would love to have you back again soon and continue the conversation um as you said there's there's plenty of areas here to dig into but thank you so much for joining us again and and sharing your perspective we really appreciate it now sarah um thank you uh, i've enjoyed the conversation today and uh, yes uh, thanks for your tenacity in ensuring <laughs> i actually get to speak to you today so Thank you. Uh, Take care and uh, hope to speak to you again in the near future. Sounds good, Tim. Take care.